What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Brand and Beyond podcast. I'm your host, Chris, joined, as always, by my co-host, Peace, and we have a really, really great episode for all you guys out there today. We're joined by co-founder and CEO of Quilt, Ruben Ismalian. Ruben, thank you so much for taking the time. How are you doing today? Thanks for having me. Doing great. Love that. So could you give our audience a brief intro of what, what Quilt does, the size and state that you guys are at, at now, and just really the origin story of uh, how it all got started? Yeah. Um, so Quilt is a um, basically a financial infrastructure company. Uh, our, our mission is to lower technical barriers for people building in consumer mm-hmm. financial services. Uh, you know, we, we've, we've sort of seen a, a lot of innovation in this space over the last five to 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of one of the core challenges for anyone who wants to build, um, uh, you know, financial experiences, things like personal finance, things that mm-hmm. drive financial wellness and inclusion, uh, is you're still sort of like gated by primarily your ability to code, mm-hmm. uh, or your ability to, uh, you know, raise money and hire people who know how to code. Um, and, and even, you know, if you know how to code, um, there's kind of a pretty big gap between, you know, getting something really basic out and getting something out of the quality and caliber and kind of data integrity of like, you know, the Chimes and the, the, the large companies today that consumers are increasingly expecting uh, their technology, their financial technology to kind of be of that level. Uh, and so at Quilt, what we're basically building is a low-code platform that uh, essentially, um, you know, has all these integrations under the hood. So you uh, can integrate into Quilt uh, on the front end with a single line of code. On the back end, you don't even need to use your own a server if you don't want to. Um, we can support kind of serverless configurations as well. Uh, and then we give you access to best-in-class providers for, you know, account aggregation, account verification, transaction enrichment, uh, kind of out of the box. So essentially, it's one integration that, that, that turns data from lots of different providers into one kind of standard canonical language. And the idea really is to allow folks to get to market much faster, allow folks to experiment and try out new providers, uh, you know, without sort of go, having to go through, you know, multi-month engineering integration cycles just to get something up and running. Cool. Um, I mean, really good. Sorry, Kushroff. Go ahead. Uh, no, 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 I was going to say, uh, to answer your other question, I'm uh, happy to dive into the origin story as well. Uh, that Absolutely. was kind of what the company is today. Um, yeah, so um, the origin story is um, kind of, we have a bit of an unusual path to get here. Uh, so after college, uh, I lived in New York for, for a while, uh, working for a big financial data company. Uh, I was on a sort of sales uh, sales management track at a large financial data company. Uh, at the same time, I did a lot of computer science in high school, um, but you know didn't do that at all in college. Uh, and, and you know a few years in, uh, I really kind of got the itch um, to build stuff um, and instead of sort of sell stuff. Uh, the irony is now I'm probably doing more selling than building. Uh, but um, uh, basically, uh, my wife and I moved from New York City to tax- Texas, where I'm based today. Uh, and I was kind of at an inflection point in my career. I decided to get get into get back into programming a little bit. I had some ideas I wanted to. Uh, validate and you know particularly at the time like you know if you want to build something in fintech you just have to you have to code there's really there there hasn't been uh you know the, the technology and the the, the 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 type of tooling available for folks who might have a lot of ideas but but don't necessarily know how to piece all the kind of data pieces of it together into a cohesive uh, customer facing uh product or experience 
so I got into coding uh, and, and had a couple of ideas I wanted to play with, uh, one of which led me to build a kind of an automated budgeting app. Uh, and so the automated budgeting app was built on top of the, the API from Plaid. Uh, so you would connect to your bank accounts and then we would basically automatically um, build this comprehensive picture of your finances. And then from there, we would uh, start building some automations around, you know, what your needs, your wants and your goals are. Uh, and so that app, um, you know, we ended up, uh, I brought my co-founder, uh, who's an old friend of mine. Um, we took it B2B, started uh, sort of selling it to community banks and credit unions to add as a white label option so they could kind of better compete with a lot of these fintechs and a lot of the really big banks that are building this kind of stuff in-house uh, and are getting good at it. Um, but eventually in, in 2020, uh, we sort of had this kind of eureka moment, which was that, uh, you know, more and more folks are, are, are trying to build in this space. And, and a lot of the technology is, is fairly repetitive. Um, and we really were fascinated by the data problem, perhaps more than the customer experience problem. I also think like the composition of our team at the time, I think, was much more suited for this type of a business anyway. And I think that's really important for like founders to kind of like realize like the thing you're really excited about, like find the thing that you're excited about plus the thing that you, your, your early team is good at. I think that's a really important sort of lesson for, that was a lesson for us. Uh, and so we ended up uh, basically pivoting uh, the company, uh, rebranded to Quilt and uh, started uh, basically going down this infrastructure path. So, so now we're, we're trying to make it a lot easier for other people to, to, to get going with this type of tooling uh, without having to do the integrations uh, and, and kind of, it, it dramatically increases the possibilities of this technology um, because like what people build on it really kind of that, that final step of it is really up to the, uh, the entrepreneur and the, uh, the company that, that, that has these ideas. We just want to do all the kind of dirty, boring plumbing work under the hood and give folks some Absolutely. foundation to build from. So what's, what's the size or stage of quote? So we are seven full time with a couple of contractors. Um, we uh, raised uh, our seed round at the beginning of last year, um, and so Congrats at this point, um, thank you. Uh, so at this point, uh, you know, we we just launched kind of our first sort of public product uh, actually last week called the Quilt Connector. Um, we've been in beta for the actual API uh, for a while with a, with a bunch of customers, um, and so we're sort of. Uh, I would say from my vantage point, like as, as, as a technical founder, you know, I'm, I'm working hard to kind of switch off a little bit off of like builder mode uh, into more of the let's yeah. get this thing out into the hands of people mode. Um, but yeah, uh, that's, uh, that's basically the, the, the team. There's uh, of the seven of us, uh, uh, five of us are engineers. So it's a pretty engineering heavy team. Uh, and then we, yeah. we, my co-founder, who's uh, the sales and partnerships guy, and then uh, we just brought on an amazing head of marketing. Um, she's also sort of like plugging a lot of the gaps, other gaps that we have on our team. Cool. I mean, really just getting into the meat potatoes of the podcast. Uh, you and your family are from Armenia. Uh, you guys immigrated here. I, I myself also immigrated to the United States from Rwanda with my family. Uh, so I know personally, like, you know, the, my upbringing, my culture plays a big part on how I engage with my team members and really just my day to day. Uh, can you just tell our audience, uh, how has your cultural background influenced how you structured Quilt's uh, culture? Uh, that's, a, that's a really good question. Um, so I think um, one of the things sort of, at least for me, from my immigrant experience, uh, has really been to kind of one of the values I think I would I hold pretty intuitively uh, is sort of 
this ability to, um, or at least an effort to always kind of try to put myself in the shoes of another person and try to sort of see the world a little bit from the way they see it, um, just because I've kind of had to do that as I've moved around the world um, when I was a kid. Um, and so, you know, one of the things we focused on is really building uh, a, a building a team of, you know, folks that, you know, might might not be kind of, you know, might not have like the most conventional resumes or might not have the most conventional backgrounds and, and they can actually bring like really different and interesting perspectives to the table. Um, so, so like bringing that in, I think, you know, dramatically increases just like the possibilities of the kind of stuff that your team will come up with and the kind of interactions they'll have. Um, but I think that also can kind of backfire. I think if you don't have the right culture where people can kind of freely, freely debate, freely discuss, do it respectfully. Uh, and so, so the main thing I think for me has been, um, and I learned this probably more so from some old bosses that I've had than, than my immigrant experiences is, is really just, you know, bringing on really smart people and doing as much as I possibly can to like get out of the way and to allow them to sort of, you know, kind of express themselves um, with their creativity and their professionalism. Um, I think that's probably the number one sort of hack I, I would give to people I think as a, as a, <laughs> yeah. as a founder. Like um, I think a lot of particularly product minded finders have a, have a tendency to um, be really, really in the weeds. Um, and I'm, I'm often guilty of that, but I think just having the awareness of, you know, the whole point of hiring really smart people is that, over time, like, like I need to become kind of expendable and useless, at least from the delivery of the product. Right. And that way I'm able to yeah, step right. into the next, the next thing that my business requires mm -hmm. me to do, uh, for us to be able to kind of keep this going. That foundation, were you cognizant of that when you got started? Is this something you had to learn as you guys progressed and move forward? A little bit of both. Um, I had kind of the good fortune of getting some solid kind of management experience when I was pretty early in my career. Uh, so at, uh, there was a company that was called S&P Capital IQ. Um, so the big financial data company, um, we had some kind of we had a, we had a merger that happened there. There was some reorganization. And basically, I found myself as a 26 year old managing like a 12 person team. Uh, and it was like managing, but also like building the team and figuring out how they're going to mm -hmm. work. Uh, and, and one of my bosses, uh, or, or the, the boss at the time, um, you know, who, who sort of offered me this opportunity, uh, had a very unconventional way of offering me this opportunity, which was basically, hey, so you have a lot of opinions about this stuff and you're always kind of complaining about it. So why don't you go fix it? And I'm like, okay. well, how do I do that? And he goes like, I don't know, write it out, like write a piece of paper of like what you think should happen and then we'll talk about it. Um, and I was like super annoyed about this because I'm like, you're the boss. You're supposed to tell me what my job is. Like, why are you making me do your, your work? Uh, and so I ended up basically going through and like writing, like probably the longest thing I wrote since college, just basically like bulleted and, and try to outline like some of the opportunities I saw on the team and some of the things we could improve. And, you know, I thought he was just going to like throw it out or whatever, but instead we spent like an hour and a half digesting it. And, and, you know, he started layering in context around the organization and some of the issues, like some of the reasons for some of these things, some of the things that he totally agreed with. And we walked out of there with like, a edited version of this that actually became a job description. Um, and, and it really changed the way I think I approached that job because I basically like I helped create that job description. Um, so I think like that kind of stuff, um, I think in a startup setting, it's harder to do that in a formalized way. Um, but I think trying to keep that attitude of like, you know, hire smart people and then like kind of like have them tell you what needs to happen. 
chime in if you have opinions, but then ultimately try to get out of the way and have them do that. I think that's been a probably the 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 simplest management advice that I ever ever learned, and um, you know I think it's uh, it's been it's been also it's a lot more fun I think to run a team that way. For sure, wow, that's uh, that's a really interesting way to get handed a job, I must say. Uh, so wanted to transition into how remote work plays a really important role in, in your culture. In a blog post, you said, I recognize that there are many obvious and not so obvious trade-offs involved in being fully remote and that for us, the pros continue to greatly outweigh the cons. So could you break down that statement, you know, telling our listeners, how do the pros outweigh the cons relative to remote work for you guys at Quilt? Yeah, so the, the I mean, the big one is just talent availability and access, right? Mm-hmm. I think uh, I think the earlier stage a startup is like the more the totality of the startup is just the talent on the team. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I think hopefully that keeps up over time, but, but even, especially in the early days, like it's the number one competitor advantage you have, right? It's like, mm-hmm. how fast can you move and like how much better are your people than the incumbents people? Um, one way to put it. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think the, the, the big advantage of remote, uh, you know, for us really is the ability to hire um, like the best person from anywhere in the world. Um, you know, I live in Dallas now and Dallas has a lot of tech people and, and, and it's, a, it's a pretty good sort of tech market. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but at the same time, you know, the best person at X uh, is probably not here. They're probably yeah. in another part of the world, right? Mm-hmm. So just sort of, there's part of, statistically, you just have access to a lot more people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that is the biggest advantage you can build as an early stage startup that can't, mm-hmm. can't pay Google, that can't outpay these companies, right? It's mm-hmm. like, you have a bigger universe of people that, you know, you might be able to find that might be excited about your team and about your company. Um, that's part one. Uh, and then part two, I think, um, you know, we're sort of a, a COVID company to some in some ways. I think mm-hmm. the, really the current iteration of the company was born during COVID. Uh, and so being remote friendly and remote flexible in part was a necessity when we started really building out our core team. Um, but at the same time, uh, it's been it's been really interesting uh, to see like how how you can have an intense job that can nicely fit in with sort of the lives that people have outside of work. That's mm-hmm. not to say that you can't do that if you have to show up at the office at nine o'clock and go home at five o'clock, but the ability to for folks to um, sort of live where they want with their families and a lot of folks on our team have kids uh, being able to like, you know, be there for your kids when you need to drop them off at school, go to a doctor's appointment. I think that kind of flexibility that remote work provides to people uh, without like folks needing to ask permission because they need to like step out for lunch or something or it being necessarily a visible thing. I think that kind of helps create a, a type of work culture where, where people are more, Sort of more personally accountable, but at the same time, they're more, uh, you know, they're more able to uh, do their best work within the confines of our lives, which are increasingly not just nine to five. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, as a follow up to that, what do you think the biggest trade off is from not being in person in your mind? The biggest one, I mean, it's, I think, is the one that 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 a lot of the remote work um, skeptics talk about. I think it's the it's a the collaboration angle, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, being able to sit down next to somebody uh, in front of their computer, doing it together in front of a whiteboard, um, even step out to it for a coffee to clear your brain. Um, I, those are the, we're, we're, we're human beings, we're social creatures. Um, I, I think those type of interactions are really, really hard 
if not impossible to to do in in um, in a remote context. Uh, and so uh, you know you lose that, right? And so I think yeah. you have to make up for that in other ways. Um, you know, for us, that's meant being very creative around the way we sort of do these shaping discussions when we're working on mm-hmm. feature. We actually uh, for anything that's that's meaningful, we will schedule uh, you know one and a half to two hours. Uh, on video, uh, you know, in front of a document with a screen share and, you know, we'll jump through code together. We'll do all these things that uh, I think we would do in person, but like, it seems a little impractical to do over remote. So, so we're really trying to kind of build that part of it. And then the second, the second way we've gotten around this is, uh, you know, we have the great fortune of, of travel. Uh, and so, you know, in the fall when we, had a bit of a kind of a eureka moment around around a, a product uh, direction we needed to take. Uh, I literally got on a plane and I flew to New York, where our engineering lead was, and and my co-founder is also there. And we, you know, we got into a room and we hammered this thing out over like a two day period. Uh, could we have done that remotely? Maybe, but I, I don't think it would have worked nearly as well. So I think you have to pick your battles a little bit and and sort of have a core flow that supports you know, is built around remote, but I also think you need to be willing and able to kind of break from that and, and just get in, get in the car, get on a plane, like go and actually like see the person and, 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 and hash some of these things out. Has, yeah, there, has there been any, like, has there been any like cultural surprises you've dealt with, like with your team being that you, you're in remote, I'm assuming when you worked at Capital IQ, it was it, were you, uh, in person? Uh, yeah, so we were in person, uh, and when I moved to Dallas, I was uh, briefly kind of remote. We had we had an office here in in, in Dallas, but it was in a different division. Uh, so like the company had an office, but none of my my direct colleagues were in this office, and I found myself uh, you know much uh, more productive working from home. Um, so I started doing that, but it was very unusual, and I would say that a lot of the kind of, uh, you know, more old school uh, folks on my team uh, were not particularly happy with that because it was unusual. And then the flip side of it, I think some of my more kind of junior, uh, you know, uh, folks that worked for me, uh, I think in some cases, it wasn't a good experience for them either. um, Because, you know, their boss is not visible or present, right? So I think, Mm -hmm. so I think, Part of this is one of the reasons why I'm a little bit skeptical around sort of these hybrid approaches that a lot of folks uh, want to take is because I think it ends up kind of creating a little bit of resentment. It, it sometimes creates like second class sort of employees within a team. Um, so so I, I think it's really important to kind of pick a direction, stick with that direction, and then, and then create structure so that you get some of the in-person benefits, um, particularly around just like people building physical, like people physically being in the same place and building, building real human relationships. I think that's the other part that, that you really need to um, need, need to maximize in person time, at least in, in concentrated chunks. Certainly, certainly. It sounds like you're building a really strong remote first culture though, over there. Quote, we'd love to hear that. So uh, getting into our next question here. So on Twitter, a couple of years ago, you spawned to a tweet that asked when creating your company culture, are you creating a team or are you creating a family? And you responded a movement. And we would love to hear you dive deeper on that powerful statement and why you believe that. Uh, I don't know how far back you're going on my tweet. On my tweet, so I hope I'm, I don't get into too much trouble. Um, <laughs> but, um, so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember that. But um, so, so I think the if I, if I recall, I was being a little bit tongue in cheek around sort of the the very common language that 
a lot of companies use around, you know, we're a family, right? Like, you know, at, at, at Megacorp, we're all a family, right? And I think, um, you know, I, I'm very allergic to that because a company is not a family. A company cannot generally be a family unless it's a family business. Uh, you know, if a company says that we're family, I'm more likely thinking they're going to fire me whenever things get tough. Um, especially when you're talking about startups and you're talking about, you know, uh, venture back startups where, uh, you know, um, you know, there's a lot of pressure to execute and perform and, uh, you know, the best companies, uh, you know, do tend to be sometimes kind of ruthless, uh, being able to pivot and being able to change directions. And, and, and sometimes that means like letting people go and families don't do that. Right. And so I think, I think it's important to, uh, to kind of contextualize it around, around that part. Um, I do think that maybe what those companies are often trying to say is that, you know, we, we, we care about you, that you're sort of part of a, a bigger thing than, than, than yourself. Right. Um, and I think a movement, um, describes that pretty well because I think you can be part of a movement. Um, and, and that means share a certain ethos and a certain kind of belief system and a certain way that you see the world and a certain way that direction that you want to take the world in, um, that, that vision ideally is largely shared, right. Um, it can accommodate different perspectives and different views on maybe the details. But overall, like, I think people, uh, 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 tech companies in particular, is really, really important for people to be, like, aligned on the general direction of what you're trying to do. Um, and then the other part, of course, is, is you know, you know, frankly, you, know, you, you want people, you want people working, working hard and well. Um, that doesn't mean, you know, many hours necessarily. It means investing, you know, a, a meaningful amount of their kind of, personal work life energy right into you know working on a business of some sort right and i think um there's a few ways to kind of motivate people to do that the easiest one um for many people is just you know pay people more money and i think you should pay people as much as you humanly can um but i think having been in a place where you know i at one point you know made a, a pretty good amount of money and was just very very not excited about the work that i was doing um you know, I, th I think I think the, the the best combination is being able, you know, being at a place when you're when you're properly remunerated, but you also like really deeply care about a certain mission, certain vision that the company has, and you're really feeling like you're part of that. I think that's the sweet spot where work becomes um, also like enriching of your life rather than you know sapping life juice out of out of your li life so that you you can go give it give it to your job. I think I think that alignment is really important. So. So, so it's it's a bit of a non-answer to me. I think I think it's somewhere in between those two things is kind of the point that I'm trying to make. So, as, as a CEO, how do you deal with individuals that are probably coming from the we're a family culture when you know trying to implement themselves with your organization? I don't think we have people that have come from a place where they expect that we're like a family. <laughs> family, uh, and part of this is we're a small team, but part of this I also think that you know this may come off a little wrong, but like, I, I think most people that have, you know, meaningful professional experience, uh, uh, are jaded to the idea that like a startup, uh, you know, is a, is a family or like a, a giant corporation is a family. Right. I think for the most part, you know, we, we really look for folks that are, uh, you know, strong individuals with a strong sense of self, um, who care about what we're trying to do. Um, but also, you know, know what they're worth and know, uh, that they have other opportunities available to them at all times. And I think I, I always think about that. Um, so frankly, I don't think that's really come up. I don't think we've had to kind of fight that. And, and you know, for some of the more 
sort of uh, you know less experienced uh, folks on our team. Uh, you know, I view that as our responsibility or my responsibility is to create a work culture where they understand that they can be extremely valued and, 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 um, you know, uh, can have very strong, like personal affection for a person. Uh, but, you know, but, but that doesn't mean that, you know, family is not the appropriate term to describe, um, you know, anything that, uh, that pays you money. Like, I, I don't think that's, that's the right, the right language, frankly. That's a bar right there. As we, I mean, really, as we're trying to close out this episode, uh, what advice would you give to early stage founders, operators, uh, regarding what's discussed today? You know, managing culture, teams, understanding, you know, the type of movement uh, you'd like them to follow or, or companies can choose to follow uh, moving forward. What would you like to say to these guys? Um, I don't know how qualified I am to give, to give the advice, but I'll try. Um, I think the main one is, um, and I think most founders, whatever their stage in do this a lot is you, there's just a lot of advice out there mm-hmm. uh, and 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 much of the advice is you know somebody you know person x who did y in a very different context than you're doing it uh you know is giving you advice on like how to do you know z right and i think um it's very tempting to sort of correlate the success that a person has had with the advice that they're giving you um, and I think that's, that's kind of dangerous, right? Because, uh, you know, most founders are, uh, that I've met, right. Are like extremely hungry and extremely excited to get their, um, get their company off the ground and, 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 and sort of build the world the way they see mm-hmm. it. Uh, and so I think we're always, you know, we always kind of have happy years too. Right. And, and we're always looking for hacks and for shortcuts. And I think that's healthy and important, but I also think that it's really important for, founders to kind of develop their own set of kind of core beliefs uh, and then and then attract people and advisors and mentors and, and, and investors, right, that, that, that don't necessarily share everything, but at least are aligned with that set mm-hmm. of core beliefs um, so that, you know, the kind of advice that you'll actually get from people is sort of a little bit constrained to the way that you think about the world and the way that, you know, uh, the way that you've, you've, you've been building, building your business. At the same time, I think being open-minded and flexible that the assumptions that you hold could be wrong is really, really important. I think uh, stubbornness is, is a really good trait in a founder until it destroys your business mm-hmm. um, because you're not adapting to new information and you're not adapting to, 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 to new data. Um, so it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of a two-part answer, right? So develop strong convictions and develop strong, a strong belief system that's ideally rooted in a certain set of principles around how you treat other people and, and the kind of change you want to, you want your business to create in the world, but then, you know, remain flexible about the, how to get there, uh, you know, and, and make sure that the advice you're getting uh, is, is kind of adapted to the, 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 the basics that you're, you're building around. For sure. Yeah. No, love that. And, you know, kind of stemming off that, what's one question you'd like to ask another founder or operator related to today's conversation that would be helpful for you as you grow? And is there anyone specific you'd like to ask that question to? Um, I think uh, one thing that comes to mind is um, in this kind of, I mean, going back to remote work, right? Uh, You know, how do... I'd be curious to I'd be curious to learn how uh, you know other founders and no, nobody specific comes to mind uh, are really dealing with uh, you know kind of the the thing that I mentioned around uh, 
getting some of those benefits of in-person on a more frequent basis, right? So, I, you know, I know some founders that um, will fly out on a quarterly basis to go meet with individual team members. Um, a lot of companies such as ours, uh, you know, at least once a year, they get everybody from all over the world that they can together into one place. They can, so they can have a, a compacted experience of, of being in the same place. You know, I'm, I'm always very, really curious to hear how, how folks are doing that. And this is actually one of those things where I think a lot of founders are not actually equipped to answer this question unless they are either building a remote first company or have built one in the past. And there's, there's a bunch of really great examples of companies that are very mature uh, that, that, that are actually like built it this way. I think those are the kind of founders that, that more of us can learn from that are operating in a remote, remote culture. Perfect. I mean, really just wrapping it all up, you know, where can people find you if they want to learn more about Quilt or reach out to you to, you know, learn more, you know, on your opinions on culture or teams or anything of the sorts? Yeah, so uh, Quilt.io, that's uh, Q-U-I-L-T-T.io. Uh, that's our website. Um, you can check out our, our, our docs if you're a little more technical, Quilt.dev. Uh, we own all the Quilt, many of the Quilt domains. Um, and so that, that's a good place to find us, uh, LinkedIn and Twitter uh, as well uh quilt at quilt fintech uh and then on linkedin we're we're just quilt uh and you know folks can also uh should be able to find me online or or um yeah uh we're very happy to hear from other founders and and whether it's fintech related or not uh super happy to share what i know well ruben it was an absolute pleasure thank you so much for taking the time today and then coming on this is absolutely fantastic and that is it for today's episode of brand and beyond uh and we'll see you guys next time Thanks, guys. It's a pleasure. No problem.